Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host Corey Len of Corey's Digs. Hi there, Corey. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. I'm looking forward to a little vacation coming up soon. So just trying to get everything slammed in and done. Yeah, we we should let people know we're actually uh, both going to be taken off next week. So there won't be a podcast next week and then we'll be back the following week. Yeah, I think we both deserve a little bit of time off, don't you? I, I think so. This 34 pager single spaced about crushed me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Speaking of which, so we're going to deep dive into your latest report. It's the second edition of your laundering with immunity report that you put out a while back. So excited to get into this and learn more about another organization that's uh, part of this whole cabal that has just unrestricted privileges, immunities, layers upon layers of immunities, so they can get away with pretty much everything, right? Oh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so this one primarily covers OAS, which is the Organization of American States, which I don't believe many people are aware of, as well as uh, the United Nations, I pretty much just cover the breakdown of the immunities and privileges, because everyone knows who the UN is. So um, I don't, you know, I just literally published this a few hours ago and I'm, I'm not organized like Edge where she's got it all structured out on what she's going to talk about. So we're just going to roll through this and I'll, I'll hit on some things and leave other things for people to read and we'll just work our way through it. So um, just so everyone knows, I'll just tell you right off the bat at the top here, I have inside this report. So I'm going to break down an explanation of the layers of immunities and privileges that they have, because, you know, when I first started this, I was initially just looking at the International Organization Immunities Act that the U.S. gave, but that other countries have since, you know, done as well for many organizations, yeah, especially the members of OAS and the U.N., the member states. So as I um, started looking into it, I'm like, wait a minute, then we got a charter, then we got a headquarters agreement. Oh, and here's another US agreement from 1975. I'm like, oh my God, these people are like ironclad protected to the hilt. They're right up there with the UN. And then I start looking into what they're doing. And here's what's interesting. So they they have a very small budget in, in, you know, in correlation to UN, they're only like 140 million a year, but they have numerous specialized agencies and entities that work under them, through them, and are considered part of them that have their own separate budgets. So for example, like the Inter-American Development Bank, the agreement they have with them, well, they pull in like 4 billion a year. And then you got PayHo. Payho is an operation I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the Pan American Health Organization because you'll see their logo next to the Who's all the time. And that's because they host the regional office for the Who. So uh, they pull in close to a billion a year. So like if you start breaking it down and you start looking into what they're doing and contracts they have with organizations, you're like, holy cow. And then you look at where they're located right outside the White House. And um, and the history of all this, it literally goes back to 1826. It's pretty wild stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll give the kind of the explanation of these layers of immunities that some of these org don't don't mind my dog in the background slurping up water here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can hear that. So um, and then what I'm going to do is I'll just give you like a summary of the history because it's pretty lengthy, um, even though it's the condensed version and then the organs of the OAS. And then we'll cover the immunities and privileges and then the uh, agreements, NDAs and immunities between OAS and Big Tech and beyond, as well as OAS's involvement with elections. Um, and then this is a fun one. This actually was a fun one. I almost did this as a separate article. But I'm like, nah, I got to put it in here. So the U.S. backed um, OAS's new Center for Media Integrity of the Americas, co-founded by the Washington Post, and then the Inter-American Development Bank, Inter-American Defense Board, 
which is the oldest in the world and uh, funding the OAS and then the United Nations Immunities and Privileges and um, why this is such a powerhouse and how we need to uh, dismantle it. Because until people realize the level of protection all these organizations have, which are 76 international organizations, plus the Bank for International Settlements with their 63 central banks, which extends out to um, other arms that function, you know, perform functions for the bank. And you go, hmm, so here's the banking system. So here's the major organizations being the UN and the OS that are kind of at the top, right? They make up 28 of the 76 organizations that we've given these immunities to. And then you look at all the NGOs underneath them. So if anyone wants the full list, we covered that in another podcast. That's in part one that breaks down all the organizations. So this one's going to get into primarily OAS, these extended immunities that OAS and the UN have. Um, so, and, and I think the reason why people aren't terribly familiar with the organization of American states is because they, uh, so over in Latin America, they know who they are. Uh, right. They have a big focus in Latin America and the Caribbean. However, they cover the entire Western hemisphere and they're separate from the UN, but they coordinate with the UN. And so the United States, Canada, and Mexico are included in this with OAS's headquarters in Washington, D.C., right by the White House, which, of course, Andrew Carnegie donated $5 million back in 1910 to build their headquarters. And what people need to understand is that they've been around for five decades longer than the UN. They came well before them. So um, that's why it's so important. So let's hammer through the um, explanation of the layers of immunities and privileges. And I won't read all this. I'll just try to summarize it as best I can. So for one, we've got the International Organizations Immunities Act, which in the US Congress passed back in 1945 that allows presidents by executive order to designate an international organization with these immunities and privileges and tax exemptions. None of these people pay taxes on a thing. So that started in 1945, but other countries, and I give a few examples in here, you know, I don't have time to sit and search the entire globe, but I pulled up a few just so people got the gist that they're going to include the words immunities and privileges, but their act might be called something slightly different. Um, but this is being done on a global scale where many of these organizations, the list of 76 here, overlap in the other countries, which are all like members of the OAS and the UN. Okay, so there's that one. And then we've got... Um, through treaties, charters, you know, their internal constitutions and agreements, the UN, OAS, and BIS primarily, and probably others, have created additional layers of immunities and privileges. Um, and so when you have it in a charter and you say, well, if you're going to become a member, you need to understand that we have all these immunities and privileges when operating in your member state, um, you know, you have to abide by all of this. Okay, then we've got the headquarters agreements. And this is this is where it's a real doozy. Um, Edge actually helped me with um, breaking the headquarters ones down because this was just such a mountain of freaking work. I, I think I've read like 2000 pages of documents and websites going back to the early 1800s. It was crazy. The headquarters gives them insane amounts, which we'll go over those, but it's between the, so like, for example, the OAS and the UN have headquarters agreements um, with the US government. Um, they also, if they have like additional headquarters in another country, such as say Geneva, they're gonna have headquarters agreements there to where, you know, there's no search or seizure um, of assets, of documents, of, um, it's it's unbelievable. It's like but, an island within a country that's like completely, yeah, yeah like untouchable. Mm -hmm. They're like embassies in a sense. And in fact, it, it's in the language and all of this that 
these immunities and privileges that these organizations and not just the UN and OAS, but that have been given to these 76 organizations are equivalent to that of a foreign diplomat. So it's pretty insane. And we wonder why nothing's happening, right? And, you know, you can't FOIA anything in relation through connecting through these, any of these orgs, um, because you can bet your ass it's all going to be redacted because all their documents are inviolable. So, um, and then we have, uh, let's see, did I get through them all or do I still have one left? Um, oh, oh, most importantly, the ability to extend their immunities to individuals and organizations or bank that are like working for them, working with them, performing some functions. So like special envoys, right? Bill Clinton right. goes to Haiti as a special envoy. Oh, he's got immunities and privileges. Right, right. So if he went like, let's say to, to Epstein's Island, <laughs> the <laughs> of the UN, that's unavoidable right. because, you know, it's, you know, he was right. performing some sort of expert duty on behalf of the UN or OAS. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. Um, but that's and how they we, do this, right? And we've and, got all the banks, right? We've got all the banks with the immunities and privileges. So you've got the organizations at the at the helm that are going, these are the agendas we need to push. So all you minion organizations underneath us need to push this. And if we sign an agreement with you, don't worry, we're going to extend those immunities. Or, hey, we're going to invite you to come take, an, take up an office in our headquarters so that you're protected there. Just keep all the secret documents stored there. Right. It's unbelievable. So if we scroll down... Um, to the uh yeah condensed history um so let's see if i can sum this up this began back in uh 1826 uh men were already meeting they were already talking about creating this this uh as far as oas i'm referring to they wanted to create um an organization to pull the uh, americas together and so Eventually, in 1890, what evolved was the International Union of American Republics. And see, this is why it's it's just like with um, it's just like with what they do with language, you know, how they they change the terms from eugenics to genetics to biotech to all these different terms. So you don't understand what it truly is. They do this with companies' names, too, so that over time, people think that it's a newer company or a new organization or they, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So rebranding it. They're like yeah, yeah. whitewashing their history, sort so to speak. Right, right. So the Union of American Republics began in 1890, which, um, which was right after the International Conference of American States in Washington, D.C., and at that time, they created the Commercial Bureau of the American Republics as the Union Secretariat. So at that point, there were like 18 uh, Western Hemisphere nations involved, in, of course, including the U.S., because we need the headquarters. We need control. So in 1910, the Commercial Bureau became the Pan-American Union. And people may be, I bet people are more familiar with that name than they are the Organization of American States. Um, so in 1948 in Bogota, Colombia, they, that's when they changed the name to Organization of American States, which the funny thing is, is in two years prior to that is when Truman gave them the immunities and privileges under the Pan-American Union, which, you know, later, of course, they just altered to the Organization of American States. So then in uh, 1992 is when they signed the headquarters agreement with the U.S. government, um, giving them additional protections. But they actually back in 75 got additional protections as well. And under their charter of 1948 got additional protections as well. So that's why... You know, sometimes you'll see in a White House press release, it'll say the Summit of Americas. They do like this annual conference, kind of like the UN's annual conferences and whatnot. And you'll see the Organization of American States covered in there, here and there. But you never see it in the media. They're never right. talked about in the media anywhere. Right. I mean, so, like it wasn't until recently that I even heard of OAS. Mm -hmm. And the way I ended up hearing about OAS was first talking to you when I knew that you were working on this project here, diving deep into it. 
but then it was kind of like on my radar and I know we'll probably talk about this later was the um the election um in Brazil right so Yep. um Oh, yeah. They're very involved in elections. They're involved in a lot of things. And I couldn't even cover it all in here because I was already at 34 pages. I mean, I could write a whole book on it, but I kind of did. But <laughs> um, but there's going to be the uh, three more parts to this afterwards. Um, I'm covering the borders with privileges, and then I'm going to get into... If these, you know, based on their immunities and privileges, can these organizations be challenged in a court of law? And then I'm going to have uh, the final chapter will be like the timeline. But then you also covered IRENA, which is also an organ, one of the 76 organizations in here. And so surely uh, there'll be more articles in the future where we're going to constantly keep coming back to this and saying, oh, there's another one with um, here's another event or agenda taking place. Just a reminder, they all have immunities and privileges. So what you're seeing, you know, what you're being told is likely not what you're getting because there's no transparency or accountability. Right. You can't fact check them on anything because you can't ever FOIA their documents. You can't ever get their bank records on where the money is actually going. Nope. Nope. It's unbelievable. So, uh, okay. So let me just explain how this ties in. So back in... Um, 1902, the Pan American Sanitary Bureau was uh, founded. And, oh God, there's so many ties to the Rockefellers and all this. I'm sure everyone's shocked. So they were previously named, um, oh goodness, no, they changed their name. They basically referred to as the Sanitary Bureau in 1923, and then later changed their name to the Pan American Health Organization in 1958. So they've been around since uh 1902 so peo's been a lot around a lot longer than the who so basically what it is is peo is to the oas as who is to the un but the oas and peo are the western hemisphere which makes up one billion people right so when we say we want to pull out of the who we need to pull out of the un out of the oas and out of uh peo as well And Right. there's, it's, you know, it's one big conglomerate and it's just one, another arm of it. They all, they are all working in sync towards the same things, but OAS, um, handles some very interesting things. So. It seems like um, OAS and PEHO were really the predecessors to the UN. Like they were the, the beta test, were they not? Because it was like, let's just try this for half the hemisphere, see if we can make it work. Okay, yeah, it's working. Now let's build the UN. Let's build the WHO. But it was really kind of off of the same formula, right? Well, so, yeah, but we have the League of Nations in there, too. And so the League of Nations was an attempt. Um, so OES was always kind of like the Americas, right? But then they wanted like a global one. And so it's really interesting when you look at how the Rockefellers have dug their claws into, and there's books on this I have cited in here, um, Latin America. And, and then you look at the shipwrecked on 10 Islands article I did with Clintons and Branson, and there's tons, tons of people in there. And we can go over that later, but they have a lot of interest there. And when you consider, okay, so this is the faction for the Americas. And then they had the League of Nations that they were trying to make international globally, but they ended up, the U.S. wouldn't ratify it. Right. And of course the U.S. wants power and they want the headquarters and so they uh and i'm sure there's historians that can tell this way better than me because you know i can only dig for so many hundreds of hours but essentially the i believe it was 1946 when the league of nations dissolved um and they the un was to basically take the place so that's the global But OAS has always been around for the Americas. So when the UN came in, they said, look, we're going to work with you, but we're not going to be subordinate to you. We are going to remain autonomous. And PEHO is also going to remain autonomous and not going to be absorbed by the WHO. And so what's interesting is they signed an agreement to where in, uh, so, so the WHO launched in 48. And then in 1949, they signed an agreement 
with PEHO, which back then was still called the Pan American Sanitary Bureau. And it was that PEHO would basically host the WHO's regional office for the Western Hemisphere. Um, and then that PEHO had to agree that, uh, I'm just looking at my notes here, the agreement does not does state, yeah, that any sanitary conventions or programs carried out must be compatible with the policy and programs of the WHO while being financed separately. But in addition to that, when I looked at their financials, so and also in the agreement is that the WHO has to give a portion of their budget over to PEHO. So they're very much working in sync. And um, with everything going on right now with the whole, you know, international health regulations, 2005 deal on who taken over and this and that. I want people to understand there are other factions that play very key roles here. And with, you know, I just have a sneaky suspicion at how these wannabe rulers want to divide up countries down the road. Um, call me crazy, but that's what I see. And so when I look at this and I look at the different factions and who, what, what main countries are behind which organizations or agendas or, you know, the, where the main pushes are coming from. I feel, uh, I feel that Latin America and the Caribbean is very significant in all of this. So um, just some, a couple interesting tidbits. Uh, if you get into the history of it, the original uh, director of the of PEHO, then Pan American Sanitary Bureau, was Fred, Dr. Fred Soper, who was previously the regional director of the Rockefeller Foundation from 1927 to 1942, but continued working with them afterwards. They actually recruited him in 1920 um, and, and sailed him off to Brazil, Brazil to work on hookworm surveys and whatnot. So he was very instrumental in all of this and um, increasing their budget, negoti the negotiations that PEHO be the regional office for the WHO. And um, I think that is a very significant factoid there. Because right. Wasn't there some sort of like secret society history on him too? Yeah. Yeah. So his father, uh, well, this comes up a couple times actually with different people. So his father, so he had three sisters and four brothers, two of which were also doctors. And then one was the mayor of South Hutchinson, Kansas. So Soper's father, S.J. Soper, passed away in 1940, and he had a funeral service with the Masonic Lodge in charge. Uh, he was a former mayor councilman, school board member of South Hutchinson, Kansas, involved with real estate and a mem member of the Masonic orders as a 32nd degree Mason and member of the Grand Lodge of Kansas. So um, that's gonna come up again, it, it's slightly different, but with these, you know, I don't know if we wanna call them secret societies, but kind of. Um, so with the, I won't go into it, but people should look up the, I have it linked in here, the shipwrecked on 10 islands, because it gets into how they were taken over back in 2012, how, um, so many players involved in over in 23 islands along the Caribbean where they're sweeping in and they're saying, well, we're going to, we're going to remove fossil fuels and we're going to take over the energy supply and we're going to put in windmill farms and solar fields and yada, yada, yada. But we're also going to get involved in your whole tourism section. And Dennis O'Brien's going to come in with deep blue cable and we're going to roll out fiber optics, subsea cable systems that connect the Americas the Caribbean, which connects, um, connecting all of the islands over to Florida. So OES and IRENA, both involved in that. You've got 26 governments involved in that. You got the Clintons, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, Rocky Mountain Institute, Inter-American Development Bank, also part of OAS, United Nations Development Program, World Bank Group, which is UN, uh, Jeff Bezos, Zuckerberg, Hoffman, George Soros, you know, I can go on and on. So it's its a very um, key thing that I was trying to figure out four years ago, five years ago. God, time flies. And now I'm seeing how it's starting to kind of all tie in here. So uh, 
here, let me scroll down. So pre-1890, I found this very interesting. Um, they say that the, you know, the OAS was officially formed in 1990, but this all started back in 1826. So I find this article, July 21st, 1930, from the Lansing State Journal, and they try to simplify the whole story of how this began. And they say that this mere journalist, John, John H. Barrett, single-handedly brought it to life by stating that they say an enthusiastic young newspaper worker saw the possibility in closer relations of the United States and other nations in the Western world. And so getting Andrew Carnegie to back him, the Pan-American Union was formed. Well, this dude served as the United States U.S. minister to Sam, which is now Thailand, a diplomatic advisor to Admiral George Dewey. It was a delegate to the Pan-American Conference, a minister to Argentina, and eventually went on to be the first director general of the Bureau of American Republics, which is OAS, in 1907, 14 years later, during which time he founded the Pan-American Society of the United States. But, you know, they make him seem like, oh, he was just this, like, really enthusiastic young newspaper worker. And they <laughs> right. don't stand on it. I'm like, what? So I, I look into some obituaries, and I'm like, well, this is interesting. So, uh. Oh, and while he was minister to Colombia, he negotiated the first protocol over disputes with the Panama Canal Zone. So, I mean, you know, so he had a Knights of Pythias service when, you know, funeral service with the bearers, all members of the local lodge. It's a secret society and the first fraternal organization to receive a charter under an act of the United States Congress in 1864. Uh, he had been a member for 13 years, 14 of which were spent as master of work of the organization. And there's countless politicians, judges, and presidents um, that are part of this, including Nelson A. Rockefeller, Warren G. Harding, William McKinley, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Chucky Schumer. So, I mean, and that's just a few yeah. of them. That's some great company to have there. Right. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> to look some, into new that. some newspaper boy conjured all this up. Okay. The Pythian Knights, is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I know. Uh, I, I did not. I, you know, I mean, I could, there's so many avenues I could have gone down just from everything I discovered while doing this. Um, but I, I, I was trying to keep focus to the, this is what, where these people come from. This is what they're working on and here's how they are protected. So if we go to the organs, um, I won't read all these off. People can go in and look at this little diagram, but I list all of the organs here. Um, and by, and, and that's what they call them. That's not what I call them. They, you know, the organs of the UN and the organs of the OES. So they've got the principal organs, the specialized organizations, such as Inter-American Children's Institute, Commission on Women, Indian Institute, Institute for Cooperation on Agriculture. Of course, the Pan-American Health Organization, Pan-American Institute for Geography and History. And then we have a slew of uh, agencies and entities, um, which, you know, like the Inter-American Committee Against Terrorism, Natural Disaster, Court of, the Court of Human Rights. I didn't have time to get into that. They have a whole court system um, with their own judges and they take over like human rights where countries sign over um, and say, yeah, we're going to let you guys handle the human rights here. And I'm going, wait a minute. This is in the Caribbean and Latin America and the drug trafficking canal. Okay. So then we've got the Inter-American Defense Board, college, uh, on and on and on. People can read that. So let's get to the immunities. Um, this was introduced, the International Organization Immunities Act was introduced to our Congress here in the U.S. Uh, in, uh, when was this introduced? Do, do, do. October 24th, 1945, which was the same day the UN officially began. I mean, man, when you look at, when I get to the timeline, it's going to be fun because they pulled all this together and very coordinated in short order. So Downton, Robert L. Downton, Democrat of North Carolina, um, who served as chairman of the U.S. House Committee on Ways and Means for 18 years, as well as, you know, served in the House for 42 years. He's the one who introduced this bill. It actually failed the first time or it just didn't move. And then it was introduced the second time. So um, 
introduced it October 24th, 1945, when the UN officially began. And then of course, in December is when, December 29th is when Congress passed this. So thank you, no thank you Congress back in 1945. And thank you to all the Congresses who have never revoked any of these since. Right. So, <laughs> it's crazy. So, and every uh, single president since then adding to it, meaning like giving more and more organizations immunities uh -huh. because of this act. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, um, gosh, I'm just not going to have time to get through all this. So, I'm trying to think of what things to cover and what not to cover. We've got, um, Hmm. So the purpose for why this was created, um, this, this, the need for this, and, and I'll tell you the league of nations, I believe I could be wrong. I didn't have time to dig, dig past them, which I believe they were, they began in like 1920 or 1924. Um, they were I believe the first kind of international organization that put in language of immunities and privileges in their charter, if they called it a car charter, or maybe it was a con constitution. I'm not, I don't recall, but that is what kind of set the pace moving forward going, you know what, if they got it, we need it. We all need it. We need, we need to have these, that was their argument for this. And so not just the UN, you know, but the big thing was, they wanted UNRRA and FAO, which are both part of the UN, of course. And um, just the language that was used as to why, you know, they wanted to make possible a consistent and equitable treatment for some of the older organizations now functioning on United States territory. With respect to whole legal status, the United States has contracted no conventional obligations and which will probably not be brought into relationship with the United Nations. Hmm. Then to implement commitments or obligations toward UNRWA and FAO and other organizations in being or to be established and to whose constituent, I can never say that word. Constituent. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> instruments the United States as a party or a signatory and to establish a minimum or basic standard of treatment for the United Nations and its personnel subject to such modification as may be made necessary by the terms of the agreements contemplated under article 105 of the chart. So basically when they gave these out, the very first batch they gave out was, uh, was to the organization of American States and then the other three were two UN factions, the United Nations and then two of their factions. And then the next batch of five they gave out, uh, two were to OAS factions, two were to UN factions, and I forget who the fifth one was. But the point is, this, this, this was the core reason why they wanted to do that, which basically protects their property, their assets are immune from suit and every form of judicial process as enjoyed by foreign governments immunity from search and seizure of property and assets wherever located by whomsoever held. Archives are inviolable, exemption from all forms of taxes, um, admission of officers, employees, and their family members without checks from customs. Officers and employees are exempt from all legal actions or suits in regards to activities related to work. No alien registration or fingerprinting of employees and their immediate family members or registration of foreign agents. So in other words, you can be a ghost, right? Right, right. And that's for all 76 organizations. Mm -hmm. And then if, um, so I gave examples of Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, you know, they're, they're all passing these. So, or have long ago. And then we've got the headquarters agreement and without getting, you know, it, it basically is kind of a replica, but, but goes even more in depth, like immunity from lawsuits and legal proceedings. And just, it gets into a little bit more, but the key one is um, article 20, where it says, oh yes, you know, has the power. We basically summarize this, but they have the power to extend these immunities to any organ agency or entity it creates an agreement with. Now, once you read it and break it down, you'll understand that means not their organs, but outside of them. So they can do a contract with some other organization and, and extend these immunities. And by reading the UNs as well as BIS, it would seem they too have those same advantages. So 
Um, you know, people can go in and read, there's the 1975 agreement that gives them even more immunities. And then the charter of the organization of American states, which they even say in their own words, which are substantially identical to those granted to the United Nations. <clears throat> and we cover, we cover the United Nations in here so people can expand on that. So agreements, NDAs, and immunities between OAS and Big Tech and beyond. I just, I just pulled like a dozen different ones and linked them. And then I covered two key ones, which was um, an agreement between OAS and Facebook on March 30th, 2021. And there's an NDA. Well, first off, what OAS does in all of their agreements is they make it very clear of all their privileges and immunities that hold, you know, it's in every agreement they have. And then in this case with Facebook, they say NDA, right? They have an NDA. So the parties have entered into a non-disclosure agreement as of May 21st, 2020, which will govern the disclosure and use of any confidential and or proprietary information disclosed during the course of these discussions, on and on and on and on and on. So then we get the press release um, once they had the authority to release that. Now, these are surface agreements, right, with actual signatures that I dug up, but behind the scenes, who knows what additional documents are being signed that are not being uploaded anywhere on their websites, you know? Right. Um, those would be the ones that are archived and inviolable that we don't get to see. And so in the uh, press release, they state, um, sorry, I'm just realizing this, this somehow when I formatted, it got unbolded, darn it. I'm going to have to go back and embold it. So this was signed by, you know, Nick Clegg, VP of Global Affairs and Communications with Facebook. And the Secretary General of the OAS says, we are beginning with cooperation in terms of electoral integrity, sustainable development, and freedom of expression. But we hope to expand it to many areas. This is what, you know, they're going to work on with Facebook. And Nick Clegg confirms that and says, he confirms they created teams and systems to protect the integrity of elections on its platforms at key moments for democracy. Since 2017, he said Facebook has worked on more than 200 elections around the world, many of them in Latin America. So wow. we okay. don't know what was signed behind the scenes here. Okay, so let me just put this into realistic context here. So um, OAS signed a contract with Facebook thereby they can extend their immunities and privileges that they have under executive order um, to Facebook, right? In theory, correct? In theory, yeah. It's, it's okay. anything that has to do with like education, science, or cultural, you know, yeah. Okay, and then oh. so then the Brazil election, for example, where... Mm -hmm. They were taking down um, any kind of um, journalists or even regular citizens' um, disagreements mm. with the election, right? And mm. even imprisoning people, right? Right. Um, sharing true information about the way that that election was stolen. And would that technically, or is, is Facebook trying to absolve themselves of any kind of legal action by getting some kind of protection from OAS and part in this kind of partnership? That's my question. But that's, that's what it looks like as well. That's what it looks like because OAS was heavily involved in that, right? And, and here's the thing like, so I, I, you know, I didn't sit and listen to all the hearings and everything for Facebook. I know they had, um, they brought Zuckerberg in, and I don't know if they, Honestly, I don't know. I don't remember. I remember seeing some clips. I don't know if they talked about how many elections they've worked on or that the fact that they worked with OAS or they had an NDA with OAS or they may have immunities by OAS. You know, I don't know if any of that was covered in those hearings or not, but I thought it was important to put here because God only knows. And we know what they 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 have electoral observer missions that they get sent out on. And let me tell you, in 2016, the U.S. called them in, too. So we'll get down to that in a minute. So um, the other one I have in here is Microsoft. And the, the reason I thought this was, well, there's several reasons I thought this was significant, but they signed an agreement. Now this is back in 2001, um, but kind of a key year, huh? 
So they were working with them on several different things um, pertaining to the new information society and getting things, you know, rolling. And what I found curious is it reads different than the other agreements I read because under privileges and immunities, the OAS covered their assets like they always do. But then they didn't, for, but then for Microsoft, they said, nothing expressly stated or implied in this agreement is to operate as a waiver of the privileges and immunities of Microsoft Corporation or its personnel under the laws and regulations of the state of Washington, the United States or under international law. And I'm going, huh? Does Microsoft, or that would imply to me that they have some form of immunities and maybe they do. And I'm just dumb and I've never heard this before. I tried looking, I could not find anything. Uh, so if someone finds something on that, let me know because I found that to be a little curious. Unless it has to do with individual agreements that where Microsoft did work with our government and through that they had some special arrangement. You right. know, mm -hmm. I don't know. It was very kind of strange. Anyway, so there's other examples under here. So now going down to OAS um, involvement with elections. Um, so like you said, you know, with Brazil. So what they do, and of course, of course, the UN is involved in this too. So they carry out these electoral observation missions. And what happens is, is a country says, you know, we think we need to bring in the experts. We want to bring you guys in and make sure, and they, and they, it needs to be financed, right? Because they're going to send out teams to the country that are going to monitor, they're going to analyze, they're going to verify compliance. They're going to be like the channel between conflict. They're going to provide reports that hold a lot of weight and they're going to make recommendations. And they they say that, um, you know, the countries and OAS, of course, refers to themselves as having this extensive and recognized technical expertise. They have a, a whole 60 page, 68 page handbook on this process. So between 1962 and 2016, they deployed over 240 electoral observation missions. And in 2016, um, for the first time ever, the U.S. had them go to 13 of our states. And what it is is so when a country says, hey, we want to bring you in, OAS lets everyone know and they say, that all the member states know and other member states say, okay, we'll chip in, we'll chip in, we'll chip in. And they fund it. So the, so this country who's calling on them doesn't fund it. The other countries do not that it really makes any difference in my opinion, because I, I mean, I, I understand the logistics of why they're doing that, but um, so interestingly, they have a section in here. It's kind of fun. You can go in and uh, there is, by the way, their website is so archaic. It looks like it was built in 1990. So, but but you do have, there's a section in here with a link where you can access all these reports. And coincidentally, the 2016 report for the US is missing. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Very that. Strange. Huh. Very strange. So then of course they did, they, they did send in uh, for Brazil. So yeah, so while Facebook is doing this, they were, um, let's see. So now the 2021, I don't remember how long the contract was lasting with Facebook. I'd have to go back and look at that, but they, uh, yeah. So, so they did do a preliminary report back on November 1st. I linked that here for Brazil and, um, they have a whole interactive map you can look at and see which ones. Now, when they do these before, um, they go out on these missions. They say that they frequently work with the UN Electoral Assistance Division to coordinate prior to deployment of their observation missions. So we don't know what all is going on there. Um, one of the things I found funny is, and this is the power these people have, right? They don't, they don't have to forget about immigration status, visas, foreign agents, customs, taxes. I mean, they're literally like diplomats. Just let us through. Here's our past. So in this agreement between OAS and St. Lucia for their 2021 electoral observation mission, in this agreement, they say, <laughs> OAS states that their members of the OAS and observer mission 
have immunity from any mandatory measures of quarantine, isolation, or any other similar restriction imposed by the government due to the pandemic generated by COVID-19. So rules do not apply to any of them. I just found that interesting. Well, so, when, when, the first thing that comes to my mind is the CIA, okay? When we're talking about South American elections, okay, how mm-hmm. many coups have the CIA run right, right. in South America? So I'm just wondering how close is OAS to the CIA? How much dirty work does OAS do on behalf of the CIA since they have immunities and privileges and you can't FOIA any of their documents? You can't um, go after them for any kind of legal um, issues, nothing like that. So... Uh, you know, that's just automatically well, they're in the shadows. They are in the shadows, and yet they're front and center. And um, there's a reason they don't report about them in the media. So, so, so this is in- interesting. Um, the The U.S. backed OAS's new Center for Media Integrity of the Americas. Listen to how twisted this story is. Okay, so. The White House put out this fact sheet on June 7, 2022, and it was at the ninth summit of the Americas, which OAS is very involved in, obviously, on, and, and this is how this reads, promoting independent media and information integrity. The United States joined Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Costa Rica, the Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Panama, Peru, and Uruguay as inaugural members of the Organization of American States, Group of Friends of Freedom of Expression and Journalism, and will work with these countries to address attacks against media and efforts to silence critical voices. In parallel, we will provide seed funding and will endorse the OAS and U.S.-based non-government partners to launch the Center for Media and Information Integrity Program. Okay. They go on to say the United States will also expand its digital communications network across section of digital leaders, developers, influencers, educators, and specialists to bridge the divide between digital traditional media and new media to the Americas to enable local partners to better address disinformation. So I'm like, what is this all about? So I find the press release from OAS. Well, lo and behold, it's this little shindig is co is co-founded by the Washington Post. Isn't that interesting? So, and they go out of their way to to say that it's all done by voluntary donations. I'm like, hmm, that's not what the White House actually just said. So they've got a, a board of directors that will oversee the center's fundraising activities. They have a separate and independent council of advisors consisting of journalists from the Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and many players with ties to the World Economic Forum and UN. John Feely, who's the former U.S. ambassador to Panama, is the executive director of the center, who actually makes good points in in one area where he was interviewed for this article, because he talks about government corruption and, um, you know, big corp criminals and and all that trying to play a role. And he talks about the 12 journalists who were killed over in Mexico. And he talks about the cartels and everything and how this is all impeding journalists. But we know where this is really going. I mean, so the Washington Post, I can't even pronounce this, um, but was co-founded with a journalist out of Colombia, um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez Foundation, um, and their founding partners in the center. And the OAS intends on transitioning to it. Right now it's under OAS, but they plan on transitioning to it to a nonprofit independent organization. And yet this whole thing's crazy, dude. It's just crazy. So John Feely stated that we will be funded by private philanthropic institutions and individuals. No doubt we know who those people are who understand that independent high quality journalism is an ascension pillar for a thriving democracy. Okay, so all of the Americas wanna work together to make sure that they get on the same page and cut out the disinformation and misinformation while we're allegedly fighting for journalists to have freedom of expression. That's the whole, whole key language here. So I go to the website, I find their Twitter and I see, okay, here's an announcement for their upcoming um, conference they're gonna have, which by the way, 
They're going to have reoccurring journalism and social media seminars for both traditional and new media creators conducted by the Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland. Okay, so the U.S. is very involved in this. Um, even though they make it seem like they're trying to help the media of Latin America. And so I go to their website and I'm like, okay, this was registered in November. They set it to private and they still have the template up. Like they haven't changed the language. You would think they would want to announce the upcoming conferences, right? Yeah. Then I look at, well, they did fill out the contact page. Okay. Who does the contact go to? And I look up the address. So I go to the tax assessor's office and lo and behold, it belongs to um, an employee of the World Bank. I'm like, wait a minute. This is a condo. <laughs> this is a condo in D.C. Is this crazy or what? So it's a condo in D.C. And according to the World Bank's blog, um, Mealy, uh, so so it's basically it's registered. The condo is registered to, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Gianluca Meal, is it Meal? Mel? Mele? Trustee. Mele, trustee, which was purchased in 2019. And uh, the blog basically states that he is a lead economist and program leader for West Bank and Gaza and the World Bank's Equitable Growth Finance and Institutions Practice Group, and previously was a senior economist in charge of various countries, including Latin America and the Caribbean. And I go to his LinkedIn. He's been working with the World Bank for 12 years, but nowhere, nowhere in any of the press releases or anything to do with the center do they mention this guy being involved or the World Bank being involved at all. And so why, I don't know, this, this whole thing, why are they going out of their way to say that it's all going to be privately funded when the U.S., you know, White House is saying, well, we're going to seed fund this and you got WAPO involved. It's just sketchy. So I don't know what, what their game plan is with this whole new media. Attempt. They're trying to paint themselves as um, some sort of unbiased organization mm -hmm. that's supposed to be um, supporting media integrity and freedom of speech. And, oh, it's all independently funded. No, it's actually funded, according to the White House, it's seed funded by the government. It's right. the, the World Bank is operating in the shadows behind it. <laughs> At a condo in D.C. Yeah, <laughs> yes, this is crazy. so shady. Yeah, like this is, this is some kind of, you know, integrity-based, um, you know, media <laughs> organization. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's yeah. shady. Yep. So, so I'm going to have to skip some sections because there's, we're going to run out of time, but Inter-American Development Bank, very critical. They were also involved in the whole Caribbean thing. Um, they, uh, the, the projects, the projects they carry out, they're, they're pulling in like 4 billion a year in funding from over 400 organizations to pull off the sustainable development goals. Okay. So this is a banking arm for um, all these organizations and OAS arms, and um, and and they're involved in in 2016. They joined the Better Better Than Cash Alliance, which is a partnership between governments, companies, and international organizations such as USAID, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Mastercard, Ford, City, on and on. You get the gist. So if people want to read that section, Inter American Defense Board. The reason I mention this is they're the oldest international defense security organization in the entire world. They were founded in 1942 and they are composed of all the member states of OAS. Um, oh, also forgot to mention, in addition to the 35 member states, including the US, Mexico and Canada of OAS, they also have 72 observer states who get immunities and privileges when they're, you know, attending meetings, any functions having anything to do with OAS. So that's quite the extension there. Um, we've got, I put in a clip here of wonderful Blinken talking about OAS and the whole convention against terrorism following 9-11 um, because they're very involved in, uh, I, I didn't have time to write about this either, but with firearms, and firearms over the borders and everything. Um, okay, so yeah, yeah. running that gun, could be a run, gun running operations. Great. Yeah, I mean <laughs> like, they're just they're they're involved in a lot of stuff. Um, 
Okay, and then funding the OAS, I'm not going to get into all of it, but let's just say as with the UN, the US, the US is always the highest funder at like 53%. Um, I cover uh, some of the, you know, oh, well, I should at least mention the little chart there if you scroll down here. The contributing donors. So what's interesting about this is, you know, you got like Amazon Web Services. You've got, of course, you know, Meta, Cisco, Citibank, uh, Google, Hilton Foundation. You got all these orgs, Microsoft working with them. They're also funding them. And so you look at it and you go. Well, National wait. Endowment for Democracy. That's total CIA funding organization. Yeah. And, right yeah, there. and they got trust funds set up, right? So like we either fund these specific funds or these the trust for the Americas. And then you look at the agreements and you look at the dollar amounts and you're like, well, wait a minute. Well, it they don't they don't really need that big of a budget because the money that's coming in from the company that they're then making an agreement with and paying out to is already being covered. You know what I mean? Yeah, is this in thousands? Um, because sometimes they'll yeah, is this the actual amount or do you add three zeros on the end? uh those are in thousands yes right. thousands that ah, good point i should have mentioned that um because yeah usually they do do them in millions so so united nations immunities and privileges um let's just point out so again they've got the international 22 of their factions which um what are we a member of? I think 12 of the 15 special agencies of them were members of, and uh, they have immunities for 22 branches, including all five of the World Bank. And then they got their headquarters agreement. And then they have their uh, privileges, the condensed version we did here of the Convention on the Privileges and Immunities of the United Nations, which is ultimately the same that the OAS gets. But one thing they state themselves on their own fact sheet, they say, the site of UN headquarters is owned by the United Nations and has a special status within the United States. No federal, state, or local officer or official of the United States, whether administrative, judicial, military, or police, may enter UN headquarters except with the consent of and under conditions agreed to by the Secretary General of the organization. So some people may have already known that. Um, they're, they're like an embassy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like an, like an entirely different country within our own borders we can't right. do anything you know legal no, no none of our laws are applicable basically right right so we break down uh the privileges and immunities for them and again with the ability to extend and again under the since their headquarters is totally protected. I mean, they get down to saying from this block to that block and this whole district and this floor and that floor and that floor. So essentially when they extend, um, what do they call it? Observer uh, observation. Um, goodness, the offices, I have a link in here to the other organizations right. who are There's affiliated with the UN and do work with them, but they're not part of the UN. They've extended you know, them to have offices there. And so we have that linked in there. And uh need to mention this. So the International Development Law Organization, goodness. Have you heard of them, Edge? No, I don't think so. Okay. So they're on the, one of the 76 organizations that we gave immunities to. And they work very closely with many organs of the UN. And they are all about the sustainable development goals and make it a point to stress that. <laughs> so they also receive funding. Um, they're funded by many, you know, partners with and funded by many countries, including the US, China, Germany, United Kingdom, Netherlands, Phil and Melinda Gates Foundation, Ford Foundation, UN, FAO, European Union, on and on and on. And of course, we're the biggest donor at let's see 2020 and 2021 18 million each year essentially they've got let's see so their alumni includes over 20,000 legal professionals in 175 countries and 46 independent alumni associations like if you need international law written up and figured out these are your guys so right. 
So they're probably you know, the ones that are writing all of these privileges uh, and immunities documents. And when I'm, I'm, well, and, you know, the IHR and all that, I mean, they probably, mm -hmm. you know, have, have a whole crew working on all this to make everything ironclad. So, uh, yeah, so down to a powerhouse of ruin. <laughs> Basically, it kills me because... <sighs> In every fight we try to do, we're going to hit a wall. Um, we need to, we need to make all of our like. First off, everyone in every country needs to look up their own um, immunities and privileges because I guarantee you they're there with your government. And um, all legislators need to be made aware of this. At least here on our country, I won't speak for other countries, but in our states. They need to step the hell up. We need to, you know, nullify the Federal Reserve. We need to have state banks. We need to have total sovereign states get a pull, just pull out of the UN, the OAS, Peho, who, you know, they're all arms of them. Um, and uh, like we've said a million times, we need to stop funding their stocks, investing in their stocks, you know, their, the central banks. And um, it's really important to get this information out because I don't think people realize the levels of protection and, and their ability to move money. They've got the bank arm. They've got all the NGOs working underneath them to pull all this off. So until we like, pull down their force field, their little protection field. Um, it's going to be a little tricky to break these people. I mean, you know, and I'll get into in the one chapter as far as the whole taking them to court bit, um, because there's very, very little to no exceptions on the ability to even challenge any of these organizations. So if they come to your town and they are, are going to put up structures or something that's going to poison you. Good luck. So it's really important to break these, these force fields that, you know, all these protections they have. And the only way I can see to do that is like states stepping up and, and well, I would say Congress needs to start revoking these tampering down these immunities saying, uh, no, you no longer have this. You don't have that. It's not necessary. It was all devised for a global takeover from the get-go from over a century ago. And it's freaking obvious. Right. I mean, it seems like a simple thing would be for, well, it's not simple, but like the easiest way to go after them would be to revoke that Immunities Act that put all of this in, into motion to begin with. Well, but right? then they still have their charters. And if we're a member right. And then you have to pull about. out. You have to pull out of each of these organizations. And and then the headquarters agreements. That's what I'm saying. They have mm -hmm. they have very carefully covered themselves in layers so that each thing would have to be deconstructed to to really make a dent. You know. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, that was enlightening because, you know, I don't think that many people <laughs> I don't know. I think enlightening is the best word, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think many people know about OAS and no. the kind of power and influence that they have. And mm -hmm. as well as the things that the really important things that they're involved in. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, with I ele elections, know. media. There's a whole consortium of universities they work with. They work with, um, I forget what it's called. So they have this registry with over 400 organizations, like some key organizations where they orchestrate uh, basically it's discussions between government and these organizations and OAS to, to basically create policies and move things forward. So yeah, very, very influential. Definitely check this report out that Corey put out, guys. Laundering with Immunity, the Control Framework Part 2, a powerhouse of ruin. Love that title there. <laughs> Very descriptive. 
We'll leave a link in the description so you can get more details on this because um, as in-depth as this Dig It podcast was, there's even more details in the report for you to dive into and learn all about this so that we can together dismantle it, which is the goal. Right. And once I get um, all five parts finalized, I'm going to put it into uh, a single PDF in the bookshop. Right now, I do have part one in there in PDF because I thought since I listed out all of the organizations and have that information, it's kind of a handy list to have. So after I finish part one, I put that in there. But I'll eventually, once I'm done with all five, have it as a single PDF. Perfect. And then everyone needs to get them out to all their dang legislators and bring them to meetings and make other people aware. And and uh, because, look, the louder we are about something and the more we expose them and the more we remove those the some of the layers of secrecy and the ability for them to move around and do what they want then they start switching up their game we see it time and time again and then they get sloppy and then they got to backtrack and then they move to not that they don't have multiple playbooks but we need to challenge these people they don't own us they want to own us right and they've been operating in the shadows doing all kinds of stuff without mm-hmm. people even realizing that they were a threat and that they had complete privileges and immunities to operate outside of the law. Yep. All right. Great reporting, Corey. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Dig It. Please be sure to share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, no longer on YouTube, so please be sure to subscribe to our other channels, and we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It.